Hey guys, it's Renee from Throwing Down. This week, I was joined by the newest voice to Sirius XM Fight Nation, Angela Hill. She was my co-host. We got to know a little bit more about Angela Hill. Some pretty interesting stuff, if I do say so. Plus, we got to speak to the voice of UFC. John Anik joined us ahead of the kickoff to UFC's 2022 schedule. Here we go. Angela Hill joining me here today, filling in for Misha Tate. Uh, we're going to do a little deep dive, get to know Angela a little bit better. Um, gosh, where to start? Where's like a good place to start to like do a little bit of a deep dive? Um, let's, I, I think we should go with the music. What, what, first of all, what is your favorite <laughs> song of all time? Do, I don't care what oh. the situation is. This song comes on. You're stoked. Man. Oh, there's so many. Um, Skulls by the Misfits. Oh, okay. It's my first ever walkout song. And the lyrics are just perfect for any girl that's walking out to beat up another girl. It's just like, (laughs) take the skin off these little girls' heads and put them on my wall. You know, it's it's a little (laughs) brutal, but that's what I'm trying to embody when I get out there. I'm like, yeah. Elbow the skin off of your face. So this is this is good. Yeah. This fits me. <laughs> I like that a lot. Okay, what is what is like a song that will always be on your like pump up, you're about to fight playlist? I mean, I guess that mm. one falls under both categories. <laughs> who wouldn't want to listen to that if you're gonna I'm gonna listen to that one and fight somebody. And I don't even fight anybody, but maybe I'll start. I don't know. Yeah, it helps. It helps. It gets you there. Um, there's a few uh Damn, it feels good to be a gangster. That's one. Um, Cameo Candy just gets me loose, gets me chilling. I used to love watching that music video with my friends back when back in the day when it was like actually back when music videos were good. Yes. Yes. The box. You call up the box and get them to play play the song that you wanted to hear and he had this like crazy cock piece on it was like this red underwear <laughs> thing and he's just dancing and the whole focal point is on his crotch so we thought that was hilarious so that's why it's one of my go-to songs um but yeah there's a bunch there's a bunch um okay after a fight you've gone through it you've had fight camp uh you you did your battle inside the octagon what's your go-to cheat food right after that Mmm, it's usually a drink. <laughs> oh, yeah. What's your drink of choice? What's your poison? It's usually a drink. Usually a, a strong beer or whiskey, whiskey on the rocks, just straight up alcohol. I want to taste all the alcohol. <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's me. Because usually after a fight, your adrenaline's still going. Your stomach is in your lungs. You, sure. It takes me a while to get hungry. But once I do get hungry, I'll order up some chicken wings and pizza. Like that's that's the go to. Always, always that. All right. Here's a big question then. Ranch or blue cheese with the wings? Ranch. Yeah, my girl. I used to be blue cheese, but I think that was when I couldn't handle the spice as much. Now I'm more of a ranch girl. Mm -hmm. The ranch lets the spice kind of bleed through a little more. You know, it lets it live. Yeah, you can still taste it. All the flavors. Mm. Yeah, no, I like that a lot. Um, When you (laughs) say a strong beer, what are your beer go-tos? I'm a bit of a bitch when it comes to beers. Like, I don't (laughs) like an IPA. I don't Mm. want something too heavy. I... Honestly, I'll just I'll drink Miller Lights all day long. I love 98 calories. Let's go. What is your go to? Oh, man, you would hate when I bring beer over. 
<laughs> so all everyone that I that like I I hang out with out here, they're all into the same thing, like Modelo's and light oh, yeah. beers, like more of like a Mexican lager type thing. And we'll mm-hmm. bring over triple IPAs and porters <gasps> and styles. And I have like, a headache thinking about that. It. Yeah, <laughs> but oh I love it gosh. because I don't like drinking too much liquid. So I'll have my little my little sludge beer, I like to call it, and I'll sip on that and I'm good to go. I got a nice little oh, buzz going. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah. Oh, that. Yeah, that's I mean, I like that there's a method behind it as well. It's well thought <laughs> out so that that I can get behind um, hidden talents. Um, I know that you obviously can, well, I shouldn't say obviously people didn't get to see or hear you start to sing Bone Thugs and Harmony. Um, do you have hidden <laughs> talents? What can you do? What else I can you sing. do besides kick the shit out of people? Oh, man. Um, I went to art school. So that's like oh. one of the things people don't really know about me. Um, I went to art school. I studied animation at Cooper Union. It's, it's kind of oh kind of prestigious. It's kind of a big deal, but you know, now that I'm an MMA fighter, no one cares. So <laughs> that's my hidden talent. I, I care a hidden- lot. Yay. That's okay, really great. cool. I'm, that's I'm really neat. So that. what's funny is that um, so the museum in uh, Cincinnati, they right now have a whole Pixar thing going on. And we just oh. went the other day and I was really taking a deep dive into how that animation works. And it blew my mind. I couldn't imagine how tedious of a job that is. Like what mm-hmm. kind of sparked your interest to get into animation? Um, I like tedious things I it's 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 kind of a weird obsession for me when I was in high school I would try to draw photorealistic and um and they actually ended up turning out pretty good and then my teachers would push me to loosen up and get more expressive and that's when I started enjoying making things move so I wouldn't draw as tight and and perfect but I would draw more expressive and then I would flip a page and draw something else expressive and then I'd like seeing it move and and making things work like that. And then I just realized, man, I, I really enjoy doing this. So that became my focus my last two years of college. And I ended up working in an animation studio for a couple of years, a, a few different ones working on um, mobile games and 2D animation, stuff like that. And then the recession hit back in 2008, uh, everyone who's old enough to remember and there were no jobs. So, (laughs) so that's what sparked my MMA career because I was training Muay Thai at the time while I was working in this animation studio. And when the recession hit and they, they cut everyone from my animation studio, I was still making good money doing private lessons in Muay Thai and bartending. So I was like, Hey, I'm not going to waste my time trying to get a job when no one's hiring. I'm just going to do this thing. That's making me money. And it took off. I became an MMA fighter after that. That's crazy. (laughs) That's really nuts. Like I feel like having a job as an animator in general, like that just seems like a very cool gig to have, but then to make this jump over to MMA fighting and making it your full-time thing. What were sort of like the in-betweens of that? I mean, I'm sure you must have had like some other jobs kind of in between leading up to that before you could fully rely on just fighting. 
Oh yeah, I was I was living in New York, so I was like, uh, you oh, know, the Jamaicans in uh, color in? purple. I mean, color purple, color uh, in living color. Oh um, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I had sixteen jobs, um, but I <laughs> I lived in Harlem one year. I lived in Manhattan when I was in school. I lived in Brooklyn for the most part. Um, Brooklyn, uh, uh, Prospect Lefferts. Is Bush that where you Wick. got into all your snooty beers? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was always in the hipster neighborhood. So whether yeah. it was really ghetto or really nice, it was always the hipster place to be. So always a snooty beer, always an IPA, always some some yeah. single single batch, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> That's really interesting. That's so cool. Do you still do you still kind of draw and tinker and just sort of like doodle around when you're uh, not really paying attention? Man, I try to, I try to, but it's hard to keep it up. And then, yeah, I don't know if anyone's had like where they've been really good at something and then they put it down for a long time and then you pick it back up, you get mad at yourself. You're just like, why didn't I keep doing this? Now I suck. Yeah. I used to, I was way better at drawing 15 years ago. So yeah. it's hard for me to get back into it, but I still enjoy it. Every now and then uh, my husband and I will, cause we met in art school and every now and then we'll do some little arts and crafts project together. Like, uh, oh, uh, we did this Easter egg thing with John Anik and um, Daniel Cormier, and Joe Rogan, that famous picture where they're all like, oh, yeah, after yeah. a big knockout, we we made Easter eggs of that and drew their faces <laughs> on the eggs. So we'll do these little weird projects. This year we did gingerbread, but it was like big moments and tough. We had rampage breaking the door down and <laughs> shell. Oh my gosh, and- <laughs> are you? You're obviously this must all end up on your social media somewhere, right? Because I'm about to yes. do a deep dive. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. What's your husband do? Um, he's a coach now. We both took crazy turns. He now what? he is my head coach. <laughs> he's a striking coach. He does striking for MMA, and yeah, he's he's a he's a good ass coach. He's really good. Oh my gosh, that's so damn cool! Oh, we're getting some of the pictures hey, here. There yes. it is. There it oh, is. Oh wow, those are really good. Hey, those oh, are that's really the first good. Easter egg thing we did, and it's um. What did you do it with? What, you, is it just ink? Yeah, it's just ink. Um, I used a brown egg for Cormier, so that <laughs> that's how I got the color so in there. Cool. And oh um, my yeah, gosh, just random pieces of paper we had in the house. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, that we did buffer for that buffer Dana White <laughs> Tito and um and um um did buffer get a cool jacket? Chuck Liddell, yeah, yeah he did. He has like little <laughs> little gold foil on, and yeah. we put a little design on it. <laughs> oh my gosh, that is so freaking and the microphone too. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love we did that. A- you know, for it too. It was really fun. Chuck Fair. <laughs> That's so neat. I love that. Um, okay, so we got um we did get a question in for you about who inspired you to become a, a UFC fighter that comes in from Lynn M. Cole three over on Twitter. Man, you know, it's kind of a weird one because I didn't really want to be an MMA fighter when I started, even when I started doing Muay Thai, I would watch MMA and I'm just like 
man, that looks brutal. I don't, I don't think I can handle getting punched in the face while I'm laying on the ground. That looks like too much. But the more I started doing jujitsu and the more I started messing around with people and blending the things together, just be taking, taking my Muay Thai friends down and beating up on them. Then I started realizing, Oh, okay. This is not as scary as it looks. And Chris Cyborg was the first woman that I watched fight where I was like, Oh yeah. I want to be a badass like that. Like I want to do yeah. all the punching. I don't want any of the punching coming at me. I want to do all the, <laughs> yeah. all the taking down, all the kicking in the legs and stuff. And, um, anytime I saw a MMA fighter with really good stand-up game, uh, Jose Otto was another one where I was just like, man, he's and it, it intimidated me that he was a black belt in jujitsu, but seeing that he didn't use any of that, he was just like, Nope, I'm gonna stand up and I'm gonna beat you up. It was always really impressive to me. And after watching him, uh, just kick the hell out of Uriah Faber's leg and seeing what it looked like the next day, because I had already, you know, seen, seen leg kick knockouts before, but I never saw the damage that it does sometimes when you have a really good guy doing it. So after I saw that fight, I was like, okay, that's my guy. So those two, oh my gosh, that's really interesting. Hi, everyone. I'm Hall of Fame sportscaster Leslie Visser, and I've got a new podcast, In Conversation, where I'll draw from 45 years of covering the Final Four, the NBA Finals, Wimbledon, the World Series, the Super Bowl, the Olympics. CBS even sent me to the fall of the Berlin Wall. I think you'll enjoy the give and take, so subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts or listen on the SXM app included in most subscriptions. We are joined right now, one of the faces and voices of the UFC is our commentator, John Anik. John, welcome to Throwing Down. Oh, it's great to be with you guys. Get me going with that naughty by nature rejoiner. I was born in the 1970s, <laughs> so I'm, I'm with it. Nice. We're here to just pump you up, give you a good afternoon. How's it going? What's happening in your world right now? You know, it's crazy. I've been working for the UFC for 10 years, and this is the first time I've had more than 30 straight nights at home. So oh. I went from being very thankful for the break because I think I was kind of burning it at all ends mm-hmm. to now just jonesing for UFC live events, and I can't wait to get back out of my house. But, no, all good here in South Florida <laughs> and uh, looking forward to, uh, to getting to Anaheim here in like 10 days. It's funny how that happens, huh? You're like, go, 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 and then you finally get to stop, and you're like, ooh, I th- think I'm ready to keep going. It's, it's a definitely burn the candle at both ends with that one. Yeah. I mean, I did about 25 live events last year, which was more than I had done before. So I think it was kind of, uh, an off season that was a blessing, uh, in disguise, but as, yeah. as Angela can attest and anybody in the fight game can attest, ain't no UFC off season. So we'll take it. When we nope. Get. Nope. We don't have seasons around here. Absolutely not. Uh, John 2022 we're here. What are you looking forward to? I mean, as things start to kind of shape up and are coming together, what are things that you're looking forward to in the UFC for this upcoming year? Well, it's hard to look too far ahead, and certainly the first pay-per-view on my horizon is Francis Ngannou and Cyril Ghosn. And Ngannou is probably the most devastating one-strike hitter that I have ever seen compete live. And a lot of people think he's going to lose to Cito Gon. So that is absolutely fascinating to me. Um, then a lot of the people that I trust, the fellow fighters, uh, seem to lean towards Gon, who's now a slight favorite to beat him. And 
it's incredible to think where Ghana is, you know, relative to his UFC debut not all that long ago. I'm excited to see Kamzat Shimaev test himself against the uh, the welterweight division's elite. You know, I think uh, I think he can be competitive with the champion right now, and uh, I guess only time will tell on that front. But yeah, just getting some divisional clarity with Aljamain Sterling and Piotr Jan. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. You know, oftentimes when you have injuries or divisions that get held up, the result is that you have a, a huge quarter thereafter. And uh, obviously our first quarter is shaping up as a pretty big one. Yeah, no yeah. doubt. Go ahead, Angela. Oh, yeah. I, I was just saying I like that last answer, the Aljamain and Piotr Jan. That one has been so long in the works and with Aljamain's injuries and stuff. Everyone's just chomping at the bit to see that one. So that's definitely a fight that I almost forgot about because we've been waiting for long. I think I just mentally accepted that Piotrian is the champion. Yeah, and I think given the depth that we have at Bantamweight and Featherweight, you just want to see the division kind of turn over. And I say that with all due respect, and, and Aljamain certainly needed to take his time with the neck surgery, you know. Candidly, I ain't going to believe that that fight happens until they're both walking on March 5th. But <laughs> when you have a little bit of a, a stockpile of contenders like we do right now at Bantamweight and certainly at Featherweight, uh, you know, like the, the Volkanovski situation is very interesting because there are any number of different ways in which you could go with it. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see what Aljo can do. You know, there, there aren't a lot of pro fighters that are, uh, that are giving him a shot to beat Piotr Jan, and you can understand why given, you know, the body of work that Jan's put on paper. But uh, we'll see. We'll see. Guys, we are joined here by John Anik from the UFC. John, uh, you mentioned it just a second ago with, with Max Holloway and Volkanovski. What do you think is going to happen there? What do you want to see happen there? Well, I do think we need sort of closure when it comes to the trilogy between those two. So I think it's massively disappointing that soon after it was announced that they were going to uh, be competing for a third time that Max had to pull out. Um, but thankfully, the cupboard is the furthest thing from bear, you know, it seems like the Korean zombie might have the inside track. I've been seeing some reports that are out there. I love Yair Rodriguez throwing his name into the hat. I mean, why not? Mm -hmm. Right. If ever there Mm -hmm. were a time to give Yair that opportunity, I would think now would be as good as any, especially given how competitive he was against Max Holloway and the fact that he's healthy. I mean, Yair is so special that when he's healthy, sometimes I feel like you got to strike while the iron's hot. Josh Emmett obviously has returned to health and is coming off a win. So um, I'm probably forgetting somebody too. I think it's a good problem to have in some respects because, you know, it might eliminate a contender, but if Volkanovski loses to a guy like Emmett, does he get a rematch? And then you don't get that clarity. So I don't know. They have a lot of options right now. I guess if I was playing matchmaker, I would at the very least give Yair Rodriguez a call. Yeah, certainly. I know it's so interesting watching it all kind of like come together and how many people are throwing their names into the hat just to kind of wait and see uh, exactly what's going to happen. But yeah, I can't, cannot wait to see exactly how it all shakes out. Yeah, and John, um, you talked about the guys that you're excited to see this year, but how about the females? Is there anyone that stood out? Could be a newcomer. It could be someone who's just been grinding and is on top right now, but, you know, fighting to stay on top. Are there any ladies out there that you're really excited for in 2022? Well, there are a lot of them, and I haven't spoken to you since your last fight. I absolutely oh. was mesmerized watching you and Amanda Lemos throw down. So, I mean, I'm always excited about the strawweight division because – the amount of depth, I don't have to tell you guys, but that we have at 115 pounds is ridiculous. I mean, especially when you compare it to some of the other divisions. So 
I'm really curious to see what Marina Rodriguez can do with a few mm-hmm. high-profile opportunities. I mean, certainly she's proven herself in a main event setting before. Um, but what's it going to take to sort of get her a championship opportunity? You know, Carla Esparza obviously is going to get that next crack, and deservedly so. Erin um, Blanchfield obviously is coming on. That's at flyweight, I believe. But um, I'm excited to see Rose and Carla get that cleaned up. Obviously, it's a rematch. Mm-hmm. Rose was 2-1 and one when they fought for the first time as a pro. Um, but, yeah, I mean, my eyes are always on the strawweight division out, if I'm being honest, because of all the depth. Yeah, because we're awesome. <laughs> <laughs> We've got John Anik on, one of the voices of UFC. John, you've been with the company for a decade. You've been able to call so many amazing matches. What are the kinds of matches or kinds of fights that you like? Sorry, my pro wrestling comes in sometimes. I just said match instead <laughs> of fight. Uh, what kind of fights is it that you like to call that you get pumped up about? Is there a certain style that you get the most into? Well, match is okay, Renee. I mean, we'll let match slide for sure. <laughs> Thank um, you. Thank you. I'm learning I, I like as I the, go. I like the bloody fights. You know, I spend half <laughs> of my life trying to tell I, – I spend a lot of my life trying to tell people that mixed martial arts is, is superficially violent, and the NFL on a given Sunday is far more violent, right? And I happen to like the really bloody fights. And for somebody mm. like my mother, those are the type of fights that turn her away But when I'm calling fights, I'm looking for the bloodbath. I want to get showered with blood. That gets me going. And as a viewer, when I'm home, um, I don't feel like it's a UFC fight night unless there are a couple (laughs) droplets on the canvas. So I tend to gravitate towards those type of fights and seeing how a fighter can deal with that type of adversity, seeing how a cup man can handle that. Um, And I like submissions. You know, even though I Mm. I hate training jujitsu myself, I feel like offensive jujitsu is sort of a lost start in modern day mixed martial arts. So uh, I'm always happy when I see guys grab them. And what are the moments that stick out? What are the moments that stick out to you that you were so happy that you were able to be on the call for, you know, a monumental moment in somebody's career or sometime that you just felt like you got in a hell of a one liner? Well, there's so many different fights or fighters that we could talk about, but it's kind of like awards time right now, and everybody's talking about these fighters of the year, and nobody mm-hmm. is talking about what people do in January of the previous year, right? And our first ever live event on ABC featured Max Holloway turning in singularly the greatest statistical performance in UFC history. He set and shattered records that will never be broken in terms of strikes attempted, significant strikes landed. So, I walked out of that arena in Abu Dhabi, I think it was, January 16, 2021. I was like shaking because I could not believe what I had witnessed. Mm-hmm. And there are so many moments like that. Like that wasn't even a title fight. But the, the mm-hmm. best part of the job for me is when a fighter breaks through and becomes a UFC champion for the first time. You know, Charles Oliveira mm-hmm. and Glover Teixeira and Brandon Moreno, Juliana Pena happened for a lot of fighters last year. And uh, those, I think, are the most, special moments for me generally sitting in that seat. Yeah, it's so cool to be able to be a part of moments like that. And, you know, in, during the reels of, you know, the history for so many of these other fighters, it's, it's really cool. And you do such a beautiful job with it. And well, John, you, you know, um, it's, uh, it's oh, sort of sorry. The, the soundtrack. <laughs> no, that's all right. There's a little delay. It's sort of the soundtrack ah. for these historical moments. And you just kind mm-hmm. of hope that when these fighters go back and watch these title fights with their kids that, uh, that they're proud of that moment and that, that we're not yeah. all stepping on each other at the same time. <laughs> yeah. 
And John, you, know, you mentioned that there were a lot of underdogs who came up and saw all their hard work come to fruition last year. Are there any underdogs you're looking at for this year that you kind of have your eye on that you know has been working? Uh, Charles Oliveira was something that even though he's been the underdog in all of his fights, you could have kind of predicted that he was going to succeed this year just because of the streak that he's been on and how he's been flying under the radar. So is there anyone like that that uh, you have your eyes on? It's a great question. Uh, you guys are hitting me hard today. I mean, Benil Dalyush <laughs> is the first guy that comes to mind because he could be mm -hmm. on Charles Oliveira's immediate radar. And yet, again, I keep hearkening back to the pro fighters, but Islam Akashev is the boogeyman at 155 pounds, and Benil Dalyush is the guy who's charged with beating that guy. Now, mm. Unlike a lot of past Makashev opponents, I actually have talked to some pro fighters that really like Daryush in this spot, but that's the ultimate underdog spot right now when you're fighting Islam Makashev or if you're fighting, you know, Marab Dwalishwili or Hamzat Shimaev. These guys who grapple the way they do, I feel like are the most avoided guys in their division. So I'm excited mm -hmm. to see what Benny Daryush can do with the opportunity. He has certainly put in the time. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I'm excited to see what Glover Teixeira can do at 42 in his first title defense because he's fighting a certified wild man in Yuri Prohaska. Um, and I would actually expect Glover might even be the underdog at close uh, in that first defense. So um, I'm excited. I'm excited, if you can't tell, to get back to it. No more 30-plus yeah. day, day off. <laughs> now you know oh how I feel. Back into the right, mix. Right. But even even for you being back on the road, too, I mean, you guys had all the shows in the Apex, and now to be able to be back on the road and back amongst a crowd, what was that first show like back for you to have the audience back? There's nothing like doing these shows in front of fans, and maybe it took, you know, not doing shows with fans to have a full appreciation of that, but... Um, you know, there's some conveniences for us at the UFC Apex, like in terms of the show itself, some of the logistics, like going to the restroom, things like that. But, man, I can't wait to be back on the road full time. Like, if I never walk foot in that UFC Apex again, I'm okay with it. You know, I ain't got time for the 25-foot octagon. I want the big 30-foot championship octagon and all the pageantry that goes with it so Angela Hill can work her footwork and not be in this little amateur cage, you know. No, I'm just kidding. Yes. I mean, but, but big picture, it's like we'll go from doing a show at a banged-out arena in Houston, Texas, or Glendale, Arizona, or T-Mobile Arena, and then the next week, not only are we back at the Apex with no fans, but the Octagon is 31% smaller as well. Mm -hmm. So I will never forget those, you know, COVID shows, the first ones we did with all the COVID tests and, and, and finally getting fans back in the building. The fans are the lifeblood of this sport. And, uh, you know, I'm thankful that it looks like these Apex shows are going to be uh, going away here uh, in the not-too-distant future. Yay. Oh my gosh. I know. Just even being able to watch from home and being able to feel that energy. I mean, you, you really can feel it through the television screen. I know what a difference that makes um, for the fighters, of course, and, and for you guys on commentary. Um, and yet you guys do such a great job on commentary. There's always such a cool chemistry, a really cool dynamic, depending on what the team is. My question to you is, when do we get Laura Sanko on one of the calls? When's she going to be calling fight night? That's a great question, and Angela Hill, too. I mean, I think for a lot of people, it's about repetitions. Uh, I have no doubt that for Laura, her television performance is there, you know, mm -hmm. and I think if she were to be given an opportunity on a UFC fight night, she would become a staple, you know, and I've said this to her repeatedly. You just 
got to get your one shot. And yeah. I think maybe she hoped after the contender series stuff that things would have happened a little bit more expeditiously. Um, but she has the ability, you know, at the end of the day, you know, is it better if you're 11 and 0 as a pro as opposed to being 1 and 0? Yeah, like would it be better for my career if I had a few amateur fights? You're goddamn right it would be. Um, but I don't know that I'm going to walk down that path, you know. But yeah. I think for her sake, ultimately it's more about TV performance than it is about her experience in a cage and um, you know, I do think she'll shine when she's afforded that opportunity. Nice. And John, you already kind of touched on this, but for anyone like myself, who is entering into this side of of uh, the fight game, commentary, um, doing analyst work. What is your advice for them how to get those good TV performances and how to just be better at your job? Because you are the best at it. You're right smooth. Now. You're smooth, He's John. So smooth. So smooth. Oh, <laughs> I think I'm. I think I'm just old. You guys are very kind. I think I'm just <laughs> old at this point in time. But you know, it's all about repetitions. Like I think so much of life is about reps, and that can mean if you're a 23 year old kid listening to this start a podcast that maybe only your mom listens to so that when an opportunity comes a year later you look up and you've done 50 shows and you're thereby more prepared for that opportunity you know so much of life is about being ready when you get a lucky break and I think thankfully I was ready uh but I used to sit around thinking man three to five years professional broadcasting experience like how am I even going to qualify for that job well better start somewhere, right? And better start tomorrow than two weeks from now. So yep. my advice mm -hmm. is just to get reps. And if you do want to be in this space, you got to start talking, you know, start mm -hmm. public speaking, start orating in front of people as best you can. Hell yeah. Well, hey guys, you heard it from one of the goat's mouths. I mean, yeah, you, I, I really love being able to watch the shows. I actually feel like, you know, from a, you know, I've done commentary myself in, in professional wrestling and all that, but you guys have such a solid crew over at UFC. Um, and I don't, I don't, I always feel like the commentators don't get the love that they deserve. So giving you a little love. Well, coming, coming from you, that means a lot. You know, I think for any announcer, especially, for a guy who's on a headset for seven or eight hours, you just want to be as listenable as possible. And there mm -hmm. are very few announcers that I will actually turn off. I, I can think of one play-by-play -play guy. If he's doing a game, I won't watch it. But for the most part, <laughs> can you tell us who most it is? Of these, <laughs> I cannot. I cannot. You know, might even be on my might even be on my network, so I can't do it. Okay. But I just feel like we try. You know, it's a long time to be perfect. We've never had a perfect show. You're judged by every utterance. So obviously, if if people are enjoying the different combinations, um, and we're not pissing people off, then then that's really nice to hear. So thank you. Definitely. Well, John, thanks so much for taking the time. Looking forward to uh, to all the things that UFC has to offer coming up in 2022 and hearing you back on the call again. Enjoy being back on the road. Thank you guys so much. Can't wait. Appreciate you having me. Throwing Down with Renee and Misha is part of the SiriusXM Podcast Network. The show is produced by Michael Russo and Kelly Murphy. Sound designed by Nari Balin. Special thanks to SiriusXM Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, Steve Cohen, and SiriusXM Fight Nation Program Director, Marissa Rivas. Serious XM Podcasts.